In today's Revival podcast, we're going to explore how God turns nations and how revival can impact us, especially through using prayer and intercession. And I'm delighted to be joined by Lou Engel. Well, I am absolutely delighted to have Lou Engel joining me for today's Revival podcast Uh, Lou has visited us in Wolverhampton about five years ago, part of a conference we had. Uh, I think he's best known as a person of prayer, calling ridiculously long fast uh, seasons, uh, the the call, the send, uh, this Jesus movement, Jesus people thing. And so, Lou, I am delighted that you made time, uh, really grateful that you'd make time to be with me today for this Revival podcast. Well, I love I love who you are. I love what you're doing. It's so exciting to hear the testimony of what's going on there. And I've been just getting so much, uh, so many like emails and stuff asking me to be involved in England. And I'm thinking there there is a buzz going on of a move of God. And I think you are at the forefront. And Steve, I'm just glad if I could, uh, uh, you know, light a couple candles or a few torches. That would be awesome. Maybe a dynamite stick, Lou. That would be great. Not just candles. I know when you were here with us and when I hear you speak, something of what you carry provokes me to want to pursue God more wholeheartedly. So thank you for that. This The whole revival kind of podcast series is really about, uh, there's a whole load I've done on here, but as a simple question, as a starter, so what, what would revival mean to Lou Engel? Well, you know, when I was a young man, and this will help people, I think, when I was just a young believer, I was given a book on the Welsh Revival. And it, the, the, the book became a burning book. You know, so, you know, Moses had a burning bush. I had a burning book. It lit me on fire. And uh, ever since then, It's given me a voracious appetite to experience historic revival. You can't read the Welsh revival and be ruined forever of something that can change a whole nation. That in one year, a hundred thousand people in little Wales are saved. So I, 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 revival to me is God's, is God's arrival. It, it, It is not a nice thing that you set up in some meetings. It is a sovereign visitation where in some ways God takes the field and men just scatter. Uh, you know, th- to me, that's what revival, I am not content with having a, 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 just a nice shake and bake meeting. Yeah. I, 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 a real revival will change a whole nation where whole peoples come under the presence. And, I, and, and so uh, I've, I've seen measures of revival, but nothing quite like that. And so revival to me is the coming of the presence of God in unmistakable ways. And I've seen dimensions of it. Really, another book that lit my heart up was the Azusa Street Revival, 19, uh, I mean, 1906, you know, 1905, a man named Frank Bartleman. I read his book when I moved to Pasadena, and you've heard the story. I moved to Pasadena to Los Angeles. Uh, because of a dream of a black man saying, come to Los Angeles, there's going to be a great revival. And when we moved to Pasadena, I was reading a book, the book by a man named Frank Bartleman. He was an intercessor in that revival. And I don't under, I don't know this kind of prayer yet, Steve, 
were literally, he would groan for months in 1905. He said the spirit of revival overtook him. Where is that kind of prayer? I think there is a place of surrender to that kind of intercession that we hardly know. But he was caught into it. And again, the Lord was breathing prayer in those days. He said, I would wake up in the middle of the night prophesying revival. He said, every, people were coming to Los Angeles from all over the world. They didn't even know why. They were drawn by an unmistakable desire that God was releasing, that something's coming to Los Angeles. I'm believing that for Great Britain right now. Amen. I think there's this drawing that's going on in Great Britain. People are being caught up in, in this sense that he's coming. He's coming. I remember a dream I had some years ago where, where I was in this big building with, uh, with um, uh, the, the movement called The Ramp. Uh, 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 the ramp uh, in Alabama, Karen Wheaton and all her young people. And I came into the meeting and my son was there with his guitar. They were preparing for to lead worship, but there was no one in the church, huge church building. And in the dream, though, there was a sense of expectation. And when I came to Karen Wheaton's kids, they couldn't hold a conversation without saying, send the Holy Spirit. So they would be just talking normally, and then they say, send the Holy Spirit. I would encourage this. I think that may be going on with your whole community, where you don't even hold a conversation without saying, send the Holy Spirit. Say That's Evan Roberts. Send the Holy Spirit. That's what he led his youth group in. Send the Holy Spirit. I read this book on Azusa Street by Frank Bartleman. It was a burning book. I fasted 18 days, you see. When God begins to move on us and put these desires, you don't just turn aside from the burning bush. You've got to draw near to it. Yeah. You, and and I, I fasted 18 days and said, why is this book burning in my soul? See, when you draw near to the prophetic unction of God, when your heart gets inflamed with something, you don't just let it go. You begin to draw near to it. For 18 days, I fasted. And one night I cried, God, give me the mantle of Frank Bartleman. I don't want to read about it. I want to see it with my own eyes. I want my kids to be caught up in it. And the next day, you know the story. That brother walks up to me. He has no idea what I'm praying. And he says, Lou, I had this dream last night. And I saw a big black book. And the title said Revival. He said, I turned the inside of the cover. And I saw a guy's face. And his name was Frank Bartleman. And his face turned to your face. At that very moment, I knew this was my life calling. If something's coming of a revival, you think of a, a 1907 in Sunderland when the spirit of revival broke out from Azusa Street, uh, the tongues, tongue of fire there in Sunderland, you know, uh, uh, in Sunderland, what was the man's name? Smith Wigglesworth. He gets the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It erupts out of England. It goes over into uh, in, into, uh, into Europe and Scandinavia, Norway. The fires break out. And I'm just thinking, I don't know why I'm saying that, but I think revival is a matter of momentum. I played basketball. When you get a team on their heels and you, you start to beat them, you drive them off the floor and don't get it. I think there's a something about revival that it, you begin to carry it with a spiritual momentum and you don't let it go. Yeah. Anyway, I don't even know how I got onto that. But revival, you know, in the Zeus Street, they would come within a block 
of the, of the meetings that come under the power of the Holy Spirit. In the 90s, we saw a visitation of the presence that literally people would get, wouldn't even get in the buildings and be slain in the spirit. They, they, I never even believed in holy rollers, but they would just get on the grass and the glory would come down. I saw pornographic movie stars coming into the meeting and under the power of the spirit, they would be pogo sticking for an hour, uh, three, four feet up in their power encounters. Lord, we, we're too satisfied with church. We, oh, only a revival will save England Amen. from destruction. Amen. Lou, let me ask you this. You, you, means, but I just think it's the overwhelming power of God and presence of God. That's what really Amen. You said something about drawing near in those moments. I guess that's a, there's a hinge point there. Some people feel God's doing something. They read a book. They're in a meeting. They have a quiet morning with the Lord and something's awakened, but they don't fuel the fire. They don't draw near and it drifts again. Would you speak into that? the importance of drawing in and how we do that. I think this is the difference between great men and women of God and those who are casual religious. I call it the come away my beloved, beloved tongue, uh, a tug. Come away my beloved tongue. They begin to be drawn. David said this, when you said unto me, seek my face, I said thy face, O Lord, shall I seek. It's called spiritual responsiveness. We're not on a 20 year uh, plan of obedience. We, we are moving with spiritual responsiveness to the drawings of God. I've said, if you ever get an inward fire of desire, never let it go. It's the most holy thing. And I think we might be in a moment of, a, of an Isaiah 6 kind of moment. Uh, we feel, I feel this in America. I know England may have different thoughts but we believe that President Trump was a major player, both for Israel and our nation, restraining globalistic ideologies, what's going on right now with the whole transgender thing. The doors have been open to demonic spirits, but President Trump is not elected. Uh, and the, the, the passage has come to me. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I've been praying this in this year. Where President Trump was not elected. I'm saying, why do people pray more for a president to get elected than they do for God to come? Amen. Something's wrong. We're looking for a man, and we should be looking for Jesus. And I feel this is an hour where he's going to begin to touch our eyes yeah. with his coal, touch our tongues with his fire. But he's looking for a, a, a man who's going to draw near uh, uh, to that flame. So I would encourage people with spiritual responsiveness. When God draws you, draw away from other things and, and, uh, and allow that fire to burn. And uh, I, I just call it uh, spiritual responsiveness. Yeah, it's very, very good. I know I, in, as I look back over my life, there are moments the Lord drew near and after a day or two, I become comfortable with it. But when you, if you lose it, it's harder to regain than it is to sustain. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. so good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I feel very stirred on that whole point. As the Lord draws near, draw near to him. And I guess you, you mentioned the Song of Songs piece, but it's like his hand coming through the latch and I'm feeling sleepy and I don't know whether I want to respond. And before I know it, it's lifted. And so, I, yeah. 
I think I think we're in this season of time. But, uh, you know, he says, uh, after the encounter with the coals, uh, the Lord says, who, who shall I send? He said, here am I, send me. I believe the process in Isaiah 6 is we've got to draw near to a fresh encounter with God. Mm-hmm. I remember a dream I had some years ago in which I, I was in a, in a real broken place in my life, some failures. And uh, I, I, I had a dream. And in this dream, uh, I, in this dream I'm, I'm in a broken down car. And I know it's my life. And I stagger out of the car. I, 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 and I lift up my eyes. And I hear the angelic choir. And I hear music like I've never heard, and I see the angelic choir. And I'm realizing that out of our brokenness, God is drawing us into a heavenly vision. And the dream was actually an invitation to pursue that which can only satisfy. I think we're in a Laodicean era where we're so used to prosperity, so used to to, uh, comfortability and religion, and we don't realize how miserable we are, how blind we are. And I think God right now is in Isaiah 6 period. He's searching our eyes. He says, what are the the things that keep you from burning? Jim Elliott, the great missionary, he said, he said, deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. The things that can't aren't burnable, aren't consumable. And that's where I am right now. I'm not comfortable where I'm at. And I another dream I had, I had where I was in a in the dream, I'm in a hotel, my bed is unmade, the whole room is a mess. And there's a man standing there that seems like Jesus, and he's smiling at me. I don't think God is angry with us. I think he loves us in the midst of our brokenness. But in the dream, my wife outside the hotel room was calling me out. I opened the, opened the glass doors. I walked out, and she said, look, Lou. And I lifted my eyes, and I saw the waterfall of God. Steve, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. And I started running to it. I could feel the mud in my feet. If I could just get to that waterfall. I think there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit coming that we have no idea. I'm just reading this book called Appointment in Jerusalem by Derek Prince's wife, Lydia. How she's a a Danish Lutheran. All she knows is Lutheran religion. And she begins to be drawn. She doesn't even know why. She's drawn by God. And she experiences a baptism of the Spirit that for days, rivers of tongues flowing out of her. And I'm thinking, my God, I hardly know anything. And I think God's drawing us to the waterfall. If I could just get to that waterfall. I think before we talk about ministry, I think God's driving us away from our the things that comfort our souls in reality. We, we've drunk from, our, from cisterns that can hold no water. And he's saying, I've got to get you to the artesian well. You've got to get one man to the artesian well. Yeah. He could change all of history. And yeah. I think that's what he's doing in the West, in England and America. He's shutting down. When King Uzziah died, when you everything that you believed in, you trusted for, for the hope for your family and everything, you begin yearning for the waterfall. Mm. I think that's kind of where I am right now. Amen. Amen. You, you mentioned a little bit about Frank Bartholom and his prayer life and that we don't know that kind of prayer 
reminded me of uh, William Seymour, obviously involved in the same uh, revival, how he was as a waiter and as a pastor praying three hours a day. And at the end of a year or two, the Lord, he was saying to the Lord, what else can I do? And the Lord said, pray. So he increased it to five hours a day. And I'm like, that is so foreign to our Western mindset where people want a bit of Netflix, keep this, keep that. And then they still would like a move of God if we can fit it in somewhere. Speak to us a little bit about that, maybe that uncomfortable place of prayer. I think some of the challenge for people is they've not seen prayer modeled. Sadly, many churches that I've visited and traveled to over the years, they don't even have a prayer meeting that's in the calendar of the church. They just presume people are praying somewhere. So paint us a picture of what a prayer life, uh, whether for an individual or a community, looks like when birthing a move of God. Well, you know, Steve, you could probably speak to it better than I am. So I'm provoked by your own personal early mornings. For me, early morning prayer has been the lifeline of uh, 45 years of of ministry. It's it's the lifeline. It's where he wakens me morning by morning, like one being taught. It's not just saying things to God. It's listening to him. It's, it's, It's filling your heart with revelation. I'm realizing how vulnerable I get uh, to temptation when I've ceased to be drinking from fresh revelation. We're just so caught up in entertainment because we're so bored. So for me, for me, uh, I, I, I find the early mornings is the times when I really, literally, I need hours. And it's not just praying, it's meditating, it's listening to headphones. It's, it's letting letting the spirit uh, speak to us. Secondly, secondly, even in, in my prayer life, I find myself always driven to the prophetic history of my own soul, where God has, get, has spoken to me through dreams and prophetic words. And I, I find myself living in those dreams and praying those prophetic words until they become, they actually stir you inside. You, you're, you're not just praying prayers. The dreams become your, your groaning, so to speak, and your tears spring because God touches you with that divine assignment that's on your life. And so I, I find that all the time. So, for instance, this dream of the book of revival, that was 1984. I go there all the time to that dream. Wow. And I'm saying, God, you said revival and that I would be a man like Frank Bartleman and frame me don't let me die until I've fulfilled that this is part of the prayer journey but the other thing is this and I want to encourage people that I believe that fasting is the greatest way the greatest way to make your life a landing strip for revelation you know Daniel set his face to understand in chapter 10 fasting is to create a, a womb for conception we conceive in fasting where the lord sows his seed in us by revelation we be in i i've done so many long fasts of course i've failed in so many long fasts god just loves it when we try even but it is in in 40 day seasons of fasting or 10 days or 21 days i it seems like all the time he's I find myself birthing new eras in my life 
because I conceived in the days of fasting. Mary conceived and she became impregnated by the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. And so, so I've found that seasons of fasting are the great shifting eras of my life. And I would encourage people that fasting to me is, uh, you know, everything else dies. The, the spirit man has been crying out, feed me, feed me, feed me. And all we do is feed our flesh. And the spirit man is small and weak. But in fasting, it begins to be buff and strong and makes you strong in spirit. So I don't know if that answers your question, yeah. but I, I feel like I'm in a season right now. I'm headed into a 40-day fast up to Pentecost. And I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm coming into the birth canal of something right now, just like you. Amen. Amen. That's, it's phenomenal. Here's a, like me thinking this through. Some people are thinking, well, it's okay for those who are in ministry because they can do what they like when they like. I've got to do a job. But it's interesting that uh, William Seymour was working as a waiter, bivocational as a pastor, while giving himself to the place of prayer and fasting. John G. Lake was walk, working as an insurance broker, very demanding job, and yet embracing seasons of prayer and fasting while working full time. I don't think the issue, this is me kind of commenting to what people might be thinking, is about whether they're uh, full time in ministry or not. It's whether our hearts are drawn to the Lord and we do that drawing near piece we were just speaking about. And I know you haven't always been full-time, and this hunger for the Lord has been in other seasons as well. Any advice for people who are trying to talk themselves out of something because of their situations? I, I love what you're bringing up here, Steve, because you, I've got uh, two models. i got a John the Baptist full-time preacher fasting and prayer guy. But on the other hand, you've got Daniel, who is a a businessman Nazarite. Yeah. He's a political leader engaged in, a, in, 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 in the highest positions of government. And the man understands that to navigate lion's den realities in that world, he has to be laying hold of God in fasting. And he's doing a different kind of fast. He's not doing water. He's doing a businessman's fast. He's doing Daniel fast, just enough to give him the natural strength. But inside, he's keen in the spirit. And uh, I, yeah, I was mowing lawns. Five years, I mowed lawns. I quit seminary and mowed lawns. That became my seminary. I pray in tongues behind the 52-inch lawnmower. I thought I'd be raised up to be a pastor in one year from the Church of the Jesus Movement. I was five years wow. <laughs> silenced, no voice. But in mowing lawns, I began to pray in tongues, I, I, speaking in tongues. And I, I remember my first fast of three days mowing lawns. And I felt like angels were walking with me. And I would say, this is not I who moweth lawns, but Christ who moweth lawns in me. <laughs> See, I, I, I want to, this is for everyone, not just the preacher. Yeah. Absolutely love the example of Daniel and uh, John the Baptist. I think it's a great kind of perspective um, and really, really helpful. And I think it's much more about desire. I have a firm conviction that the next move of God, what he's doing is going to be far more a grassroots movement and far more a bivocational thing 
that he just takes everything. We're not looking for professionals or consultants or people who have. Actually, it's just people who've been in the secret place, created history with God. There may be a doctor or a lawyer or self unemployed or self-employed. And yet they've got a hold of God and God has got a hold of them and they're going to bring transformation wherever they go. Let me, let me ask you a question. And um, uh, We've got a conference uh, later this year called Turning Nations. And uh, it's a, a bit of a bold theme, but I've really had the Lord speaking to me that there's coming a day we are going to see nations turned. I, I know that uh, might sound... Well, how can you do that when you don't see a town or a city transformed? Can you be as bold as to expect national uh, reformation, transformation, the saturation of God's spirit? Uh, what do you think, Lou? Can we turn nations? Is God going to turn nations? Well, I can only speak in some ways from my own story because my whole story is wrapped up in one prayer. And that was 1999, and I prayed, how can I turn America back to God? <laughs> it was, just, it was one, one of those moments that, you know, I, 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 I knew I got a hold of God, weeping, and I put a demand on how can I turn him? And I knew that I had touched heaven, <laughs> at least for a moment. And the gift of faith came upon me. Of course, I woke up the next morning thinking, oh, my God, what was that? And, and I pray, how can I turn America back to God? And then about a week later, and you know the story, a woman comes to me and she says, you don't know who I am, but the Lord told me to pay your salary this year. Because you're going to start something in prayer with the youth of America that's going to change the destiny of the nation. She gives me $100,000 to start a movement and 400,000 young people on uh, September 2nd, 2000, gathered to the mall with the sound of Luke 117. That Luke 117 is John the Baptist, who has a Nazarite call. He's a fasting, praying man. And God basically says he's going to turn a nation to prepare it for the coming of Jesus. And I had a dream seven months before this massive gathering called The Call, in which I saw... I was overwhelmed with the impossibility of seeing America turn back to God. But in the dream, a scroll rolls down before me, and I read Luke 1, 17. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And in the dream, it said, and the rebellious to the wisdom of the righteous. I read it this way, and the rebellious to the wisdom of the righteous. And the Lord spoke to me. I woke up. What I'm pouring out in America is stronger than the rebellion. Wow. It birthed the call. I, it was the message of the Nazarite generation that would be used like Samuel to shift a whole nation. Used like John the Baptist to turn a nation. And so this became this. I worked on this for years this vision of turning a nation back to God. And then in 2002, uh, uh, in 1999, a dream was given, uh, uh, a dream was given about this Jezebel spirit uh, uh, over California. And in this, in this crazy dream, an angel appears and says, the only thing to break the power of the spirit is 40 days of fasting. I end up going into a 40 day water fast, praying, and declaring the victory of the cross over Jezebel in California. 
And on the 31st day, I have a dream and I'm flying over California, roaring the victory of the cross over Jezebel. It's the most amazing story. And out of it, I ended up, uh, I ended up challenging the altars of Baal in America, the abortion altar, the homosexual movement. And now I'm hated like crazy, but I'm, I warned the mayor of San Francisco that he would be held accountable for whatever he does in that city. He began to marry homosexuals. He's now the governor of California. The rebellion is rising in America, but I still hold on. There's something coming that's stronger than the rebellion. Yeah. Wait till we see God erupt. Years ago, uh, years ago, I was preaching. Uh, I was invited to preach to a youth church in the end of the 90s. And, um, and I, I didn't even know who they were. I just went. And as they were worshiping God, the Lord told me, tell them that God's going to show mercy to the youth of America because of the great grandchildren of Jonathan Edwards, the father of the first great awakening. And just like God showed mercy to Mephibosheth, a broken generation, just like David showed mercy to Mephibosheth because of his covenant with Jonathan. God is going to show mercy to a broken generation because of his covenant with Jonathan Edwards. Wow. I, that was, so I knew that's what I was to preach on right before I got up in a little break. A kid walks up to me and he says, hey, Mr. Engel, I don't know who he is. I said, yeah, guess what? What? I just found out this week I'm the great, 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 great grandson of Jonathan Edwards. And I knew at that moment, God's going to come with a third great awakening in America. And I'm believing it's going to be stronger than the rebellion. And if he's coming to America, what about the roots of Great Britain? What about the revival martyrs that weigh heavy on the scales when God looks at He's going to show mercy, but I'm going to, he's going to have to find. See, I'm believing that the spirit of Elijah promised in Malachi is the spirit that's stronger than the rebellion. I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah, he'll, and he'll be stronger than the curse over nations. Wow. I'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children of their fathers. There's something coming that looks like Elijah, yeah. that's stronger than all the demonic stuff that's going on in our nations. That's what I'm counting on. Amen. I'm looking for attorney. So with this word, I've raised a prayer movement for the ending of abortion. I'm just on the phone right now. We're praying. We're releasing a movement. Uh, uh, for 100,000 LGBT to be saved and transformed because Bob Jones saw it in 1989. Wow. Brother, I'm just going to hold on to those prophecies and raise up perm movements to fuel them, and we'll see what God does. Very, very good. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm with you on that. History shows us that nations, whole regions, the, 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 the Great Awakenings in America, the Welsh Revival, so many have had an impact geographically of transformation taking place. And I, and I think people need to hear that again, believe for that again, and not give up hope that, well, it is what it is, and we kind of hold on and wait for Jesus to take us out of this mess, instead saying, Lord, we want your kingdom to come in our day, in our generation, amongst us, like you've done in history. And I, was, I won't read it now, but the passage in Isaiah 66, can a nation be born in a day? Does the Lord bring to the point of delivery and then not give birth? And it's a sense of God will do it. A nation can be turned. But I also, I, I, I mean, my sense is, and you know more about this than I do, that the Lord's also raising up people that will partner with him in what he's asking to manifest on the earth. 
absolutely. I mean, the heavens were given to, are given to the Lord, but the earth belongs to the sons of men. If he doesn't find partners like Daniel, when Daniel understands it's time for the jailbreak of the Jews out of Babylon, he doesn't just take for granted that the prophetic word is a given. It's 70 years. He understands that revelation demands participation. He looks for friends who know what he's trying to do now, not just in the future. He knows what God, they, they come into the divine know, they're in God's intelligence system, and they pray on earth what he's groaning for in heaven. And that's when archangels break in. Listen, Daniel's 83 years old and presiding in fasting and prayer over whole empires. Archangels are warring. One man are warring over the Prince of Persia who's ruling the kings of Persia. Archangel comes down, down and says, oh man, highly esteemed in heaven. <laughs> when God speaks for man, he's looking for a man. With, this is a, a, a thing of immense import that God would speak concerning a man. Oh man, Daniel. This is heaven's estimate of you. You are highly esteemed in heaven. Why? He knows he's a friend of God. He knows what he's about, what God's doing, and sets his face to birth those things at 83 years old. I've said, God, just let me live to 83 so I could do what Daniel did over Israel, the final battles of the earth. Lord, I want to be that man that you can say, oh, man, highly esteemed. And Steve, you're that kind of man. And there's thousands that are rising in Great Britain. We're going to get a hold of God because they know the times and seasons. This is important, Steve. It's actually to actually know the times and seasons. Once it was a dream it was given. I had a dream. And once this man was throwing me his book, it flew toward me. And I grabbed it and it was called Seizing Your Divine Moment. You can be faithful your whole life. And when the Kairos moment comes and you don't seize it, you miss the purpose of God for your life. What is God doing in Great Britain right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's looking for people who are his friends who know. Mm -hmm. This is why we do dream stream. Our prayer meetings are dream. We call them dream streams. If you hang around the dream king, you get into a dream stream. You join yourself to a dream team and you do the Martin Luther King thing. You get caught up in the now moment. Amen. And so our, our community, our little community, get the most amazing dreams. God gives them to us because he knows we'll pray them. We're his friends. Wow. Wow. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm going to ask you the last question, Lou. I'd love to stay here all day, but I know you've got other things to do as well. One of my convictions is that this next move of God is not about being in a building, enjoying the presence, though I think we'll do some of that, and then calling those nightly meetings day after day, week after week, month, that was revival. But it's actually going to be a sending out, and we, we believe we have a mandate from the Lord to send thousands of missionaries onto the field throughout uh, Europe, the UK itself, even into the States, North Africa, Middle East, we, we believe that literally tens of thousands will be raised, trained, and sent. And the only way to do it is because there'll be a move of God enabling that to happen, not great strategy. And so I know that you also have this ekbalo, this Greek word of being thrust into the harvest. 
just speak to me for a moment about this move of God and the thrusting of laborers into the harvest fields. Absolutely. You know, this is, this is a major thing. I, uh, it, was, it was seven, eight years ago when I shifted from the call to the send. Uh, uh, and this gal had this encounter with God. She's been a major prophet. Uh, and she had encountered God that, that in America, 80 million souls will be saved and 250,000 laborers will be sent forth. This is what we're praying. That can only happen by an earth-shaking revival. And then we were just with the same leadership just the other day, uh, just a couple months ago. She pulls out a prophecy that God gave to her in 2004. And this was the word. She said, I saw Jesus filled with compassion for the world. That's Luke chapter, uh, that's Luke 9. I, they were harassed and helpless like sheep of the shepherd. She said he was filled with compassion because she saw five waves. Come, there were five waves coming to the earth. The first wave was a great worldwide pandemic secondly homelessness a wave of homelessness oh. a, a wave of social unrest a wave of great loss and then a great economic upheaval and then in the in the vision she saw the capital of the united states being attacked and the flag of America would fall down for a season of time before it would be raised up. And the president of the United, this is her prophecy in 2004, and the president of the United States would be silenced. In that day, a great move of evangelism and missions would begin to erupt all over the world. Wow. Dude, I'm thinking this when Daniel understood the prophecy, he set his face. Yeah. I believe this for England. I'm believing it for America. I'm going to go down holding on to the prophecies. And yeah. I think this is where we're at right now. And I think I love what you're doing with the profusion of home groups, of home churches. That's what the book of Acts was. Yeah. It was, they were everywhere but they are all devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and the prayer and their meeting daily this is this a fusion of incense all not in church buildings of one day all through england this effusion of acts chapter two companies who are moving heaven and it is in this context where god begins to unleash i believe the greatest baptism of the holy spirit which is Pray, and I think this is what we need to do. It's that Ekbalo, the Lord really rocked me some years ago, that Jesus, he came out of the vision of those harassed and helpless, and he was broken to pieces with compassion. I'm praying this right now. I just wrote a forward for a book called The Gift of Tears by Corey Russell. And, and, and this is what I believe. I believe that God wants to break our hearts for the lost. And I need that. I don't have that. And I'm saying, God, give me the gift of tears. He comes out of that broken to pieces. He gathers disciples. You cannot read that scripture as some kind of way. The harvest truly is plentiful. The laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. Set forth. We treated that scripture as a suggestion. He came out of that inflamed with passion. And he uses the imperative tense, the command. I command you to beg me, not pray. 
beg me. I command you to beg me. What if your communities would begin to beg God? Now, what if it becomes not just a suggestion, but a command? I command you to beg me, the Lord of the harvest, not to send laborers. That's not the word he uses. The word is the word when he says, if I cast out demons, the kingdom of heaven, he doesn't send out demons. He casts them out. He says, I command you to beg me, the Lord of the harvest, to Ekbalo, to drive out laborers, hurl them forth into the nations. This is the inheritance of Great Britain. Wow. The student volunteer missions movement, wow. the Hudson Taylors, the CT studs, those, those prayers still burn in the history of England. And, I, and I'm believing it will erupt in the Muslim, among the Muslim communities right in your own cities, J Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. I would say that prayer needs to be unleashed into the earth. It's, it will work. Because it's the prayer that Jesus came to. Amen. Lou, thank you so much for being with me today. Would you pray? Just take a moment, pray for those who are watching and uh, listening, and just ask that maybe even this ekbalo or prayer, however you feel led, just go for it. Well, I want to pray for the grace of fasting. Because it's what, it's what God called me to raise up. Two men and their books changed my life. A man named Arthur Wallace. A Brit the British statesman, father of the charismatic movement, and a man named Derek Prince, a British man who wrote Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting. My life has been changed through England's statesmen. And I got a calling for fasting and for God's chosen fast, Arthur Wallace. Father, I pray that England would move out of uh, its... A, a Laodicean period and they would they would turn to you with fastings yearnings and desires I pray right now that all over this movement Steve your movement and all over England a supernatural desire for God would begin to be intensified years ago I dreamed that I was praying of, uh, to God I was reading number six on the Nazarites and in the, in the dream, I was crying out to God for my own sons. Lord, hotly pursue Jesse. Hotly, I am praying, hotly pursue the youth of Great Britain, God. Hotly put a desire in their hearts to be separated to God. Raise up God, the sons and daughters, God, of, of the, the great Elam movements, God. The great William, uh, William Booth, Catherine Booth. I'm asking you, God, to put books in their hands and, and messages on their CDs that light uh, uh, on, their, on their phones that, that become burning bushes in their souls. Even right now, I am asking you like they prayed in Wales, Lord, raise up a young man out of the coal mines, out of the business place. Raise up right now, we ask. Send forth, hurl forth revivalists. Hurl them forth into the harvest field of the Muslim communities of England, into the Middle East, God, and even back to Israel, where Great Britain was so critical to, to the Jewish state, to the Israeli state. Hurl forth laborers, God, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I am asking you, God, release dreams, release encounters, knock young men and women off their horses, so to speak. Lord, we're asking that you would remember Great Britain and let your great heart be moved once again because of the covenants. 
Lord, of David Livingston, those great missionaries. Lord, we're crying out to you, God. The Spurgeons and the, and the great uh, Reese Howells groanies. Raise up. Reese Howells Bible schools again. Uh, in, their, in these cell groups, Lord, communities of men and women who get a hold of God, living God. We are asking, I am asking, for Great Britain and her empire. The spiritual impact of all, all the nations that you would revive the British Empire, not the cut, not the government, but the spiritual heritage in India, in South Africa, God, all over the world, Lord, we ask you, light the ancient fires again. Lord, dig the wells of revival. It's your time. And I'm praying for Steve and I'm praying for this community all over England and the world that they would be catalysts of this great end time revival. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Lou, thank you so much for being with me today. I really, really appreciate it. It stirred me up no end. And I am hoping we'll be able to welcome you back into the UK soon as well. So thank you so much. I've produced an e-course called Revival Ready. It's videos and workbook to help you in your journey towards revival and preparation for it. You can find more information about it at steveuppel.com.